another episode of the Growing Faith Podcast. My name is Rick McClatchy. I'm your host today. And uh, today we're actually launching into a little bit of a a multi-episode journey uh, into really the treasures that are found in the Word of God. And I have to say from a personal standpoint, I grew up in church. I I heard a lot of Bible stories over time. And you know what? I I enjoyed Bible stories. I memorized a lot of the Bible. Um, I could quote scripture like you wouldn't believe. Um, But it really wasn't until I was 18 years old and made the decision to go to Portland Bible College. A little shout out to my friends at Portland Bible College, portlandbiblecollege.org. Go check it out. Lots of resources there. Uh, but I decided to go and attend Bible college. The Lord twisted my arm and, you know, forced me into it. And, uh, but I didn't even know, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know what I was missing. Um, and I sat in some classes uh, by a really great teacher named Lanny Hubbard. And quite honestly, it revolutionized my life. Uh, it transformed my my understanding of how the Word of God fits together um, and st- stirred a hunger in my heart for the Word of God that, uh, that wow, has, has served me well uh, throughout the course of my life to this point. And it is a great honor. I get to actually say I have Lanny Hubbard on the episode today. So Lanny, thank you so much for uh, taking time to be with me and to hang out and share uh, some of your wisdom that you have. And uh, why don't you just take a minute to just tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm a, a native to this area. I grew up in Portland, grew up out in the Clackamas area. And uh, I was a young guy that had my own journey too, just like you did, Rick, uh, until just circumstances in life one day brought me to uh, PBC through a friend, a friend that was going there that I knew ever since I was a little kid. And my plans had been to go one direction in my life, but I went there for a short time just to study the Bible, to kind of get reoriented to life, and I fell in love with biblical study. Uh, I grew up in church my whole life, but I'd fallen asleep to church. I'd heard so many poor sermons. I had really no desire to be involved in ministry or the church whatsoever. But when my heart was connected to a, a few teachers that opened my mind to the world of the Bible that I'd never seen, nobody had ever let me see, uh, it just lit a fire, and a fire that has never gone out. And that was back in 1971 when I first stepped into Portland Bible College. You know, so I went into the military for a few years. Uncle Sam wanted me, came back, went back to PBC. But since 1975, this has been my life. Uh, I've either been a student or I've been teaching for 42 years now, and uh, I can say this, and I'm not selling anything, uh, that I love it as much as I did 42 years ago. I really do. I'm constantly studying, and I discover every year whole new areas of the book, the culture, the background, the people that I never was aware of, and... Those discoveries just make it rich. It makes something. It's not just a job go to nine to five and you've done it for 20 years. You're bored. No, it's, there's always new stuff. So that's me. And that's what I'm doing. We're just finishing this year. We got one more week at school. So yeah, try to get all my students to pass. That's pretty awesome. That's a, that's a big task in front of you. Um, and so we will just be praying God's grace on you that you will be able to accomplish that task. You've also written a book. Um, tell me, tell me really briefly about the book that you've written. 
Uh, the book, uh, Seasons of the Spirit, was written because it was a reflection of some things that I was seeing in my own life and others, and that is in their Christian journey, oftentimes, uh, there are transitions, there are changes, they have seasons when people are very connected with God, and then there are seasons when they feel of God, they wonder if God's even there, and they they look at those and they question their spirituality and so forth, and they or they question God's faithfulness, when in reality it's just part of life. And I grew up on a farm, and so growing up on a farm, we were very much in connection with the agricultural cycle of the year, the four distinct seasons. And as a boy, I didn't really appreciate each season until I got older, and then I noticed that the farmers around us that they were always doing something in each of the distinct seasons because what they did in that season was very much connected with what was going to follow and that you had to be aware of that. And then the words of Jesus came so loud and clear in the book of Luke when he told the people, uh, you missed the day of your visitation. You missed the uniqueness of that day. You were looking for one thing when I wanted you to do this. And so it just went right on by and you missed the whole thing. And I think sometimes we miss the work of God because we have an expectation of the way it should go. Uh, and then when it goes something different, we don't know what to do with it. And yet in those seasons, it's often in the darker, in the shadowy seasons, like we're going through right now with coronavirus. Uh, it's in those seasons that we can often say nothing is happening, and yet something is happening. And a lot can happen, and it may not necessarily be for that moment, but it may be preparatory. And so I wrote a book just about the, the fact that the Holy Spirit then will work in the lives of people in different seasons. Some seasons, like wind, seasons will appear with a great growth, like a spring. Some will have a lot of fruit, and then all suddenly we go into another season where the leaves are falling off, and we wonder what happened. And the four natural seasons correspond with seasons of the Spirit. And so I'm taking the analogies of the two and blending them together, just trying to help people say, uh, don't give up on God. Uh, what he's doing right now and what may be a winter season in your life is absolutely essential to what's going to be coming your way in a couple of years. Please don't get angry. Don't get mad. Uh, just work now in a collaborative way with God and mm. I believe that he's going to really make all these things work together. So that's the purpose of the book. That's so good. Yeah, I love that. And um, something that I've been just kind of pondering um, in this coronavirus season is, you know, as we kind of were hit by this crisis and then life is real different and I'm kind of stressed out and is, is somebody going to, am I going to lose my job? And I, you know, am I going to be able to pay my bills and all the different kinds of concerns and, you know, is, is my, is my mom going to get sick? And, you know, like, and, and I was thinking, man, how do we make sure that people have strong faith um, that they can, that they can weather stormy seasons and not be, um, you know, annihilated in the process. So just think about uh, when Peter was going through his thing about, you know, denying Christ and, and Jesus said, you know, like Satan has asked for permission to sift you. Um, but, but I've prayed not that the sifting wouldn't come, but that your faith would remain strong. And so I'm like, man, well, how do we have strong faith? And, and just, you know, it just resonated in my heart, you know, faith, 
comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that if we're not, if we're not grounded on a regular basis, right, in the word of God, then we're not going to have a faith that is strong when the storm, stormy season comes. And as we know now, like just for what we're living through right now, we didn't necessarily see this stormy season coming. It just kind of pow, here, here it is. And we got to deal with it. And so that's kind of like bringing me to this moment of, um, uh, I don't know, there's a guy out there named Simon Sinek who wrote a book, you know, start with why. And that's kind of become something I try to remind myself as I'm trying to communicate uh, something that I feel is important is to not skip past why what I'm saying is important and just get to the important, you know? And so Uh, I really believe that getting people into a place of reading and studying the word of God is something that is super important. Um, And, and I, in my heart, I know why Um, it's, so it's like a no brainer to me. Well, of course, but there might be lots of other people out there could be like, well, uh, I guess intellectually on a very, you know, surfacey level, I could go, yeah, I guess studying the Bible is good and important. Um, so today, I'd love to just have you kind of jump into the idea of why is Bible study on a personal level and in a small group context, why is that important? And, uh, and then, then that will help us as we jump into other ideas in other episodes. Sure. Well, I think that the point that you're making, Rick, is, is just uh, uh, one that is worthy of consideration. And uh, I know in our American culture, we get so distracted with things that sometimes we are distracted by job and the health of other people and all the stuff that's going on, that some things will be pushed aside. And we would think in our mind that they are important, but yet the way that we treat them or the time that we give to them shows that they aren't as important as other things in our life. We tend to prioritize, and what we prioritize is where we give our resource to. And so whatever comes at the bottom of the pile then really shows that that's the thing that we're not willing to shuffle the deck and and make sure that those things, if some things are let go, those are the things. Those are the non-negotiables. They have to be maintained in our life. And I think that we see this as we go through the Bible. And I'll walk through this because you brought up a couple of things I think are really crucial. The, the why question is very, very important because this creates uh, part of the motivational base. Uh, we will only put the effort into something that we consider to be important. And if I don't sense that importance, then I don't have, why do I need to do that? If that's not answered, then I, I won't put the effort into that aware culture and it depends on the kind of church you go to but I'll, I'll use our church right now the bad you know we come together and we have built so much of our church structure on our weekend gathering at church and we go there and our weekend gathering is approximately an hour and 15 minutes and that includes worship and announcements and offering and everything else but embedded in there is about 35 minutes of, of preaching and teaching that is there And people say, well, that's good. The national average in some places is a lot less, but you have to keep the big picture. And that is this, those 35 minutes when compared with all the other minutes of that week are going to have very little influence now because they're very small. They're fractional compared to 
all the minutes that I'm at work, all the minutes I'm in transition driving, all the minutes I'm talking about, all the minutes I watch TV and so forth. And if I expect my spiritual life in the Bible to have an influence on me, it has to have enough time to have an influence on, on me. And to be honest with you, 35 minutes doesn't create a lot of influence that's there. Uh, we go through and, uh, the great parable uh, that I may refer to later. It's the parable of uh, the sower in Matthew 13. And he gives four different conditions of soil. And one of them is a pathway. The path is the, the area of the ground that's trodden over repeatedly. People walk through there. It's their main access is to go and it's trampled down. It's hard. And so when the seed falls, it falls on that which is frequently visited, trampled down. But guess what? Because it's so hard and everything, the seed can't go in, it can't germinate, and it sits on the top, which means what? It's going to lack the moisture, it's going to be exposed to the elements, the birds are going to come and take it away. And oftentimes, that's what our 35 minutes are. They fall on the top of our busy schedule, they fall on the top, they have no place to go, and they become an easy target for somebody to take them away. The only way they're going to take a root is for me to go in and break that up, allow the seed to go down deep where it needs to go to germinate and this takes a little bit of work to do that and so it you know if you ask out of the 330,000 churches in the United States you ask people on Tuesday what the sermon was on Sunday most people couldn't tell you see by Tuesday two days later the seeds already gone and unless there is an ongoing you know reminder of it or working with it and so forth it will dissipate very very quickly um, in the great prayer that Jesus taught us in there, he lets us know this, that when we address the Father, we are aware of this. Give us this day our daily bread. And that we realize that in our natural bodies, we have things that daily we need to take care of in order to maintain our life. But we need to understand that there are things daily that we need to maintain too for our spiritual life. Or we can grow anemic, we can grow poor, and so forth. And just as I need natural physical food to keep me physically alive. I need spiritual food to keep me spiritually alive. Uh, you'll find when you go into the book of Acts, and this is where the church was birthed, you go there in chapter 2, for instance, the day of Pentecost. By the time you get to the end of chapter 2, and it mentions it twice there, it's going to say this, and every day they went from house to house, and every day they were in the temple, and they shared the apostles' doctrine and prayer and fellowship with each other. And it's very specific to say every day. And then a few verses later, as it concludes that chapter, it's going to say this. And there were added daily people to the church. Now, why were people added daily? Because the Christians were involved daily. The Christians had things that they did to keep their relationship vital. And, and I'll say this. The reason they met every single day, they had to. Uh, they were in a legal faith, they were facing opposition, and these new Christians would have lost their faith and just dissipated very quickly unless they had a daily an encounter with people that would encourage them and strengthen them. They would hear the word of God and they, they couldn't leave it. Their spiritual life depended upon that daily thing. Now, we could make it a program and say we have to go to church. For them, it wasn't a program. For them, it was a necessity. And they saw it. They saw the need of it. And that's why they did it, just like some of the things that came later. Uh, in the book of Acts chapter 17, we see Paul on his missionary journeys. 
and he's traveling through Greece and he goes down through the area of Thessalonica and he, he ministers there, but he's only there a short time and he's kicked out of town. The people, some of them didn't like his message and so they caused a riot, a social disruption, forced them to say, you got to get out of here. And so they kicked him out and they sent him to the next town. And the next town is a little town south of there called Berea. And if you read in Acts chapter 17, it talks about the Bereans, and it makes just a subtle comment about the Bereans. It says they were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. And what made them noble-minded is this. They searched the scripture daily to see whether the things that they were hearing were true or not. And when we look at the, the epistle to the Thessalonians, Paul had to correct all kinds of misconceptions and ideas. Why? Because they didn't search daily those things like the Bereans did. The Bereans' daily encounter with the Word of God gave them the ability to hear something, check it out, reinforce it, keep it alive. And guess what? He never had to write a corrective letter back to the church of Berea. Their theology remained strong, and the witness of them in the Scripture was very good. And so I think this tells us the, this regular whether it's every single day, but this regular encounter with the Word of God is very crucial to sustaining the life of the church that's there. Now, you mentioned something, Rick, and I'll, I'll, I'll divide it into two segments, and then I'll just cap it off, and that is this. First of all, a person to studying the Word of God. If I sit, and I sit in, a, in an auditorium, and I listen to a, a speaker speak, what I am hearing is the fruit of his work. He has studied, he has put things together. I'm getting his recap that's coming to me at this point. And I will be benefited to a, a certain degree by the fruit of another man's labor. But you know what? It will never benefit me as much as if I myself have to labor and produce these things. I will remember the stuff that I work for the hardest. It will become part of me. It will be embedded in my mind. So I can hear a good sermon and forget a lot of it. And how I know that is very quickly. Uh, the book of James says, if I look into the book and all I do is hear it, I walk away and I immediately forget the kind of person I am. It's like looking in a mirror and not studying it, but walk away and how quickly I can lose what I have seen because I don't take the time. James says the remedy to that is to look intently to look for every detail, spend the time that is there. And this is the work aspect, the study that's there. As a teacher, and I can say this, it's my goal in all of my classes. My goal in my classes at the college is not to pass on my convictions to my students. They wanna know what I believe on certain issues, but my goal is to make them self-learners. That is my ultimate goal. I want to turn each of these individuals into self-learners so that when they leave PBC and they can no longer sit and talk with me and chat with me, they have the basic tools that they can continue to discover and develop things for the rest of their life. We're creating what we call self-feeders. It's people who learn to feed themselves. Now they can draw from the giftings of others that are there, but they have to learn how to feed themselves at one point in there. And this is a, a real challenge. Uh, it's real easy just to type out a set of notes and hand somebody a set of notes and said, this is what I believe, memorize it, we'll have a quiz on Thursday. But to create in somebody a heart that makes them want to study, 
that they will open the book, not because they have to, but because they want to. They pour over it, it's become life to them and so forth. When you see the lights go on, and I, I love students when they come up and some of them will struggle with the textbook, just getting through the required reading. But then every once in a while, you'll get a student that says, oh, I've been reading this other book. And I said, is that an assigned book? He says, no, I'm just doing this for fun. And you begin to see that this motivation that's filling up their time is self-generated. They have become a self-starter at that point. They're not just carrying the motivation of the school. They've actually got their own motivation to go beyond that. And to be a self-starter is, is a challenge. Uh, you have to generate your own motivation. You have to generate your own disciplines um, and so forth. The coronavirus, I'll call it our PBC experience right now, <laughs> what we're walking through. Every school year we have spring break, and it usually comes in March. And spring break is they take a, a week, they've been going two and a half months, they take that week off, they go home, they get fresh, they come back for the last six weeks of school. Okay. We always find this. Students back from spring break, now that they've got used to freedom and they've gotten out of the harness of school, it's really hard to corral them back into that that rhythm of school again. And for some of them, they never quite make it. They, they <laughs> struggle for those last six, even though they've been doing it for two and a half months before spring break. Well, this year, we had an extra feature. They not only came back from spring break, but they didn't come back to classes. They came back to online learning, which involved self-motivation, self-learning, all is. And guess what? Some of them are really, really struggling right now because this thing, it's a, it is a discipline. It's a discipline of life. Uh, where nobody else is going to get me up in the morning and do this. Nobody else is going to open the book for me. I've got to do it myself. This is one of those unique areas that's there. And uh, we have to realize right now as a church, we have been removed from our weekend corporate gatherings. Now, we can watch them virtually online thanks to technology, but we can't meet with the people and everything else. And some people are struggling with that. Some people are getting used to the virtual church and everything else. But what happens if church stays closed in the sense of large corporate gatherings for another few weeks or another couple of months? Because we don't know where this is going to go. Are we just going to be waiting for the day when we can get back to do what we're used to doing? Or are we going to take advantage of the time that we have to maybe do what we should have been doing all along? And that is to be studying by ourselves along with the corporate gathering that's there. And I think that every once in a while, God just pulls out the thing that we've relied upon and he says, maybe it's time to develop some new skills. Some yeah. new ideas. Because you don't know, you know, you don't know how long we're going to be away from what you're used to. And you may have to develop a whole new exposure to life. So what are you going to do? Don't just sit and wait for church to start again do it yourself. And so I think this, this experience is real crucial. Uh, my great hero, and he's the guy that I, I model my life after, is a biblical character. And he did exactly what I do for a living. He was a scribe. He was a teacher. And he's in the Old Testament. His name is Ezra. And the Bible gives us a, a little glimpse of Ezra, and I don't have time to go into his whole life. But uh, Ezra was probably in the top four most important Jews in the antiquity of the Jewish people. And what made him such a significant individual was his own personal discipline in the area of study. 
And in Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, it says this, he studied the word of God so that he might obey it and do it so that he might teach it. And that little verse puts in there three important stages now in his life. And this is what set the stage. And it's because of this that the hand of God rested upon him. And everything he asked of the Persian king was granted to him because he'd already shown himself just great in this area. And so I think it's important to see this. First of all, he studied. He had to know what the scriptures said themselves. But he didn't stop with just getting the information. He then went on to, what does this information, this is the why question, what is the purpose of this information in my life? Why do I study it? It's so that I can live it, so that I can obey it, so that now it's not words on a page, it's words in my heart. And if I don't start living it and doing it, then my study has been a shortcoming. It hasn't accomplished what it was meant to. Proper study should live should result in proper living at that point. And once I start living, and I live based upon what I've studied, then I have a unique privilege, and that is this. I can teach others how to do it. But I can only teach out of what has become mine. And it's only mine, not just because I studied, but I studied in a way to apply it to my life. And so this great cycle that comes from a hearer to an obeyer to a giver is such a, a great it's one of the big whys. Uh, the Bible says this, that we need to be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. And how can I do that if I haven't even established it myself, what I believe, why, and I haven't even put it into practice? And so there is this cycle that allows us to be beneficial over there. And Jesus uh, knew that this motivation had to be there. And, and so when Jesus came and he taught, one of the the tools that Jesus used in teaching was he, he used parables. And he'd constantly teach parables in Matthew 13, the great parable of the sower, which I referred to just a few minutes ago. And after he got done with the parable of the sowers, his disciples came up and they asked him a question. He says, boss, why do you teach him parables? And Jesus responded and said, it's for you to know. And he said, wait a minute, what do you mean? He says, okay. I shared a story parabolically, and everybody heard about it, but you're the only ones that came and asked me to give some insights. Why? Because you want to know. You're not one of those people that will just hear it and walk away and says, that was confusing. No, you came and asked, and it was your desire to learn, and now I'll answer your question. I'll interpret the parable for you because... That self-motivating thing, that self-starting, that learning, self-learning is there. So it's been given for you to know, but not for them. Why? Because they don't care. They're just going to walk away. You're not. And that's the mark of a true disciple. A true disciple doesn't walk away until they fully understand it. And they're getting ready to learn how to implement it in their life. So that's the personal. I need to know it. I need to know this. I need to learn to be a self-learner. I need to develop those motivations to do that in my life. Because if circumstances change and I haven't developed this, I can waste a whole lot of time waiting around when actually I could be doing something right now. Yeah. Now, since the personal is important, though, is there also a place for group study? Absolutely. And we look at that, and this is why group Bible study is so very important. And I'll use a, a big college term. It's called collaborative. 
Collaborative is when you co-labor with people, you work with other people on the same project. And what happens when you do that is that now it's not just my set of eyes looking at the task. It's now several sets of eyes that are there. And some people will see things differently than I will. Uh, we, we all come into this process differently. We uh, have different spiritual giftings. And so when a group gets together and some people, they're more evangelistic in nature. Some are more studious in nature. Some are more very practical. They like to serve God by doing practical things with people. And as each of those people reads the word of God, they're going to see the word of God from that bias, that perspective. And if I'm dominated by just one thing and it's all heady and I'm into information and I'm real cerebral, but I lack the practical over here and I lack maybe the evangelistic to care for people over there, my perspective is going to be extremely narrow. I need the collaborative process to broaden my frame of reference. Otherwise, the Bible will just be limited to myself. I learn from other people. I learn how they see the Bible and so forth. And there's a great little principle. It's from the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 17. And Proverbs 18, 17 says this, the first to state his case seems right until another comes and cross-examines him. And people go to the Bible and they read the Bible and they think, I got it. That's the first expression. Until somebody else comes along and says, yeah, I read the same thing and I'm getting something else. Really? And they start talking about it and you start listening and you realize, you know, I think you're right. I think I missed some stuff. I was convinced I saw clearly, but there's some things I missed totally. And we need that collaborative. We need that group. It's all a matter of, of perspective that's there. Um, when we look at the Bible, and God did this, he, he showed us so beautifully how he needed this. When he sent his son into the world, and the life of Jesus was going to be the greatest teaching tool that God used. The word became flesh and came among us, and he spoke, and we see him, and we see the only begotten of the Father, and the whole crowds are gathered around watching Jesus, listening to what he says. When gifted people began to record what they saw, four different people recorded the story of Jesus. They recorded his life. And each one of them saw his life a little differently. Now, there was a lot that was shared among the Gospels. The Gospels are very unique also. Because no one human being has a complete, total, you know, uh, perspective that's clear and they can see every aspect of Jesus' life. And just like we need four Gospels to get a fuller representation of the life of Jesus, I need the body of Christ to give me a fuller understanding of what it is that God's trying to communicate. I can't say to a member of the body, I don't need your perspective, because I do. Without it, we need each other's perspectives. We need to at least listen to each other. And I wrote these down. These are things that group study offer to us. Number one, motivation. If I know my group is meeting next week, then guess what? I've got deadlines. I've got assignment dates. I've got responsibilities. Otherwise, I'm going to come to the Bible study and they'll say, what do you think? And I'm going to have to say, no clue. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's a motivation. If I don't want to appear to be an idiot, i got to do my work called accountability. Uh, accountability is there. Somebody calls me during the week and says, how are you doing with the homework? Oh, 
forgot. You know? And we need each other to kind of be our conscience to each other a little bit. Yeah. We need some uh, assignments. Uh, it's one thing to hear and just think about it, but you know, I need to write things down. I need to create a schedule on how I can apply these things. And that's what assignments in school is all about. It takes from the cerebral realm into the realm of the real. And so I need those things. A very effective assignment in the class is not just busy work. Oh, just write a paper or anything. No, an effective assignment is say, let's just take what we talk about and put it into practice so that you can develop yeah. a skill at this point. Yeah. And that's going to reinforce it. And that's what a group Bible study will do. Let's go home and pray about this. Let's bring back. Uh, let's go home and journal. Three days this week, I want you to journal. Let's come back and let's write your observations this week. Put it into practice. Again, it's not him that hears the word of God. It's him that does the word of God. And it's the application. We have support with each other. We mutually grow with each other. Uh, I, I love this when I do collaborative exercises in, in the classes, and I'll divide them up into groups, and I'll give them an assignment. Say, okay, you got 45 minutes. I want you to sit there. I'm going to give you a problem. I want you to figure out what you're going to do with the problem. And you sit and watch the teams, and I walk around and listen to them. And somebody says, I have no idea what to do with this. Uh, <laughs> do you have any scriptures? And suddenly one of them says, well, why don't we do this? And then the lights begin to go on. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, and we could add this, and we could add this. And before long, they're all learning from each other. They're all helping each other. And he says, oh, I saw a podcast on that. What are they doing? Increasing resources. Why don't you go check this out? Or I read a book on this. And suddenly those students walk away with more stuff to work with because they gained all that from each other. It's one of the benefits of group effort. So and good. so there's a personal thing. I need it. But there's also a benefit of the things that can only be accomplished in corporate body with each other. Now, the last thing I'll leave with you today, and that is uh, the process that we go through. And, and Rick, I, I know this more than anybody, I mean, except for maybe Kim Malman and Glenda, who've done it just a little longer than I have, that study is work. Um, as much as I love it and as much as I get invigorated by it, it's absolute work. And there's days when there is an aspect of work that is a struggle. I wrote a paper uh, over this this hiatus here from the classes. Uh, Ken asked me to do a paper, and uh, I read uh, excerpts from about four different books. I'm doing some prime sessions this summer. One of them was a very crucial topic, and I ended up reading five books just in preparation mm -hmm. for one 45-minute session. And that's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. Yeah. It's a lot mm -hmm. of work. But... It is the process of work, and I'll, I'll use the appropriate term, it's the struggle of the work that actually helps to imprint the things into a person's life. Mm. The harder you work for something, the more it's going to be retained. Um, even to the point that, that scholars and educators are now telling you that you will actually learn more by handwriting your notes than you do by typing on a laptop. Because there is something in the labor of handwriting that causes a greater sense of retention there. The fact that those words on the page, you actually formed, you shaped, and those are the communications of ideas. And there's no easy way around it. It, it is work. Yeah. There's, there's times when after study, you just have to close the books and sit back and pray and just ask God and says, 
okay, breathe on it. I'm tired. I've got all this stuff floating around in my head. And if it's going to make any sense and there's going to be a new order to it, it's like the boy in the five loaves and two fishes. I give you what I have found in my study and my struggle. And what I ask you to do is breathe on it. And out of it. And my lunch, there's nothing to work with. And so I have to have something to offer him. I have to have, I've read this, I've studied this, I've memorized it, and so forth. And we look at it, and I go back to Matthew, Matthew 7, and Jesus gives a parable in Matthew chapter 7, and he reiterates it again in, in Luke chapter 6. Both gospel writers record this parable. And he talks about two men building their houses, and one builds on a rock, and one builds on the, on the ground. And you know the story, it's a very old one. And, the storms come and the house that's built on the sand collapses and the collapse is great, but the one that's built on the rock stands and stands the pressure of the time that's there. But uh, Luke brings in a beautiful, beautiful, he brings in some extra words that Matthew doesn't, and I think it adds so well to the story. It says this, it's in Luke 6, 46 to 49. It says, and he dug deep. And that's what he says. He dug deep. And sometimes that's where our study is. It's not the stuff that's on the surface. It's digging down. I got to find out what that word is. I have to find out what that custom was and so forth. And then two verses later, it talks about the guy that dug deep, his house stood because, and it uses this phrase, he built well. And I'd like to say this by putting the two verses together in context. Building well now requires digging deep. And the strength of the construction, the quality of the construction is due to the work that goes into it, that gives it the stability that's there. And then as Jesus goes on and teaches them in Luke chapter 8, he gives the parable of the sower, just like Matthew did. And he talks about the same ground and everything else. But at the end of the parable, he adds one little thing there. And it's, it's a scary one. It's one of those little warnings from scripture. Because... He talks about the guy, the word of God. You need to pay attention to it. You need to live it. And then he says these. He says, to him now that doesn't handle this well, I'm going to take from him what he has, and I'm going to give to him that has worked for it and cultivated and brought forth fruit in there. And then you go to the closing verse down there in Luke chapter 8. It goes down and it says this. And it says, and take away what he thinks he has and give it to the person who has something. And I'd like to say this, when it, um, because the parable soars about the word of God and interprets the seed as the word of God and the heart is the soil and so forth. Can I say this? Sometimes we think we have more of the Bible than we really do. We are cognizantly aware of it, but we've never studied it. Yeah. Which means that when somebody reads a passage, we raise our hand and say, oh, I'm familiar. I know what that. Oh, really? Explain it to me. I can't do that. I just, I've heard it before. Well, because you heard it, you think you know it. You know it when you've dug through it. You know it when you've studied it. And it's scary that God takes away from the person who thinks he has something. He says, give it to the person who actually has something. The person who's taken the time that's there. And this is the area of study. I'll close today with this section of scripture. Rick, I'm going to go back to Proverbs. And uh, these are passages that I, I share with 
my students at the college is Proverbs chapter two. And in Proverbs chapter two, the book of Proverbs, the whole purpose for it is instructional. If you go through and read through the opening chapters, it's the word of a father to a son, and he's trying to teach his son how to be smart, how to be wise, how to live through life and so forth. And he says, wisdom is the crucial issue. You need to have wisdom in your life. And then people say, well, how do you get wisdom? He says, this is how you get wisdom. And, he, and then he goes through five verses here, and I'll just read it in closing, and it says this. My son, if you accept my words, step number one is I have to be willing to accept what's being given to me. If I resist it and hold it at arm's length, it's not going to do me a bit of good. If you accept my words now and you store up my commandments, store them up. I have to find a safe place to keep them so that I can go back and access them. And you say, well, how do I store things up? You journal them, you write them down, you memorize them. There's different ways that we take this information, we guard it and protect it, storing up. Listen closely in contrast to listen casually or listen carelessly. It says, listen closely to wisdom now and directing your heart to understanding. Your heart is where you will. You need to be committed to the process. Your will and volition has to say, I need to know. I know there's times I read books and they're poorly written. It's very hard for me to keep reading. Uh, I'm not a great reader anyway, but if an author's a poor writer and they just don't explain their thoughts and they're awkward and everything, it's really hard for me to finish a book. But there's times I know I just have to sit back and say, I got to do this. I don't care how bad out of a writer this is, I have to do it. And so I have to just say I'm committed to it. If I have to read it three times, I read it three times. But my heart says, I have to grasp the concept here before I can move on. And so it says, lift up your voice, call out for it, which means ask questions, ask people. Does anybody know what the answer to this question is? Inquire of it. Don't just sit there with a question and do nothing with it. Take those questions out, ask for help. And it says, if you seek her like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, which means that you've got to be on the constant lookout for it. He says, and then he concludes, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. But seeing those things and discovering those things require the acceptance, the storing, the listening carefully, the heart and the volition behind it, the asking questions, the seeking and valuing it. Those are all important ingredients into the learning process. Are they easy? Do they get easier with time? Yes. But there will always be some issues, and they're there for me, even after 42 years. There's some scriptures I still read, and I just have to say at the end of it, I have no idea what that's talking about. <laughs> that's, somewhere in the time that I've got left, Lord, help me to get some clarity through this you know right and this is just one of those things i struggle over and god says good and when it finally comes you will appreciate it because you worked so hard for it over the years to find that way. so that's the why we need more than what we just get in church it's important to me to become a self-learner because i'm not always going to be around people i have to learn to feed myself it's important to study with others because i learn from them and so forth it's important that I understand 
but it's going to be hard work at times. Too. So bless yeah. you. Yeah, God's never intended us to just be consumers, right? Like he's he's got a plan and a purpose for each of us to to be contributing members of the body of Christ. And we can't do that unless, like you're saying, we've done the work to to gather some of that into our own barn, you know, to have our own uh, harvest to draw from, to feed people. And um, I just, so many good things that you have said today. Um, I was thinking about that 35 minutes in a week and there's 10,080 minutes in a week. So if you take 35 minutes, that is actually um, about a third of 1% of our week dedicated to, to taking in the word of God if we don't do anything outside of that. And so kind of uh, just an encouragement to our listening audience today would be um, to simply take time to increase your percentage, you know, like move that percentage upwards uh, this week, even start, start right away. Secondarily would be to just increase the frequency. So take time to increase how often you dig into the word of God. And then I think how you said so uh, so awesome with uh, the story of Ezra, hear, obey, and give, and that that's the really the proper order. That as we we hear the word of God, we don't then go to give the word of God. We want to we don't want to skip that middle piece of obeying the word of God because it's in the obeying of the word of God that we actually take on real ownership of that word. And then we have authority in the giving of the word. We, we teach as one who has authority because that's why, you know, Jesus, Jesus was the perfect obeyer of the word. So he taught as one who had authority, not as the, the typical scribes and, you know, Pharisees that just knew the word and yet missed the revelation of the word. Uh, because, it, you know, John chapter five, you know, it's like, you search the scriptures, but you miss me. You know, like you got you got no revelation of me, even though you like memorize the scripture. So, uh, and then just to wrap up that last thought, listen closely, store up, ask questions, and be on the constant lookout. Uh, so, uh, so many uh, great nuggets uh, today for for people to process. So. Um, probably don't even have to put out an episode next week. I can just tell people to listen to this one again. But uh, so, uh, Lainey, thank you so much for today. Thank you for that, um, that great download of information for, for man, I'm, I'm processing it right now. Just thinking about like, where's the, where's the area where I can increase my percentage? And I think it's nice as we look at it in that increase your percentage, uh, you know, the minutes of the week that you dedicate to the word of God is Everybody can do that, whether it's Lanny, the great teacher, and we, you know, people hold you in a place of esteem and actually might put you in this category like, I could never be like that. I was actually really encouraged even to hear your story that you started in a place where you were like, eh, I don't know. Like, I've heard a lot of crummy sermons. I'm not really sure I'm into this. And yet there was a moment where there was a breakthrough. And so simply starting with that simple task of increase your percentage, whether a person is starting at zero or they're at, you know, 10 or 15%, there's, they can increase their percentage. They can dig a little more. They can put in a little more work. And that's something that anybody can do. And they're, you know, 
increasing your percentage is the win. It's not, you need to go from zero to 10 right away. It's steady incremental increase that people can get there. So thank you very much for your time today. And uh, to the to the listening audience, uh, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being a part of this. Um, it's uh, this is the beginning of a really great series as we as we jump into the idea of studying the Word of God today we've covered the why um, next week we're going to dive into the idea of um, Bible translations you know where there's all these letters out there ESV CSV NIV NKJV KJV MSG I don't know is that going in my food or is that something that I'm reading I don't know so uh, we're going to talk about how to uh, know the difference between different types of Bible translations and how to find one, how to pick one that is going to actually serve you well in your Bible reading and your Bible study and so that you know what you are reading when you're reading. So I look forward to connecting with you guys again next week as we bring Lanny back on. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, you can hit me up at rickm at manahouse.church. I'd love to interact with you there. Um, in the meantime, feel free to like, comment, and share, and rate the podcast to let other people know that it exists. And with that, I just say God bless you and have the most amazing day today.